Well, hey, cousins, you are listening to Revolutionary Hood Rat with Kim Young of Dope Black Social Worker, and welcome back. Y'all, we have us another episode, and I know I, I say this before every episode, especially when there's a guest, how excited I am, but this time, it's like a full heart excitement, um, because the folks that I have joining me this week on the podcast are the people that I, I have been getting in trouble with here in Virginia, so let me explain what I mean. And so I'm going to combine the revolutionary news for the week with the introduction of the guests that are joining me on the podcast. And so the revolutionary news for this week goes out to us. And by us, I mean social workers for change here in Virginia. Y'all, we did it. And by did it, I mean, I'm also manifesting that this bill will be signed into law. Now, what I mean is um, we have a bill. In the General Assembly this session here in Virginia, House Bill 606, which is carried by Delegate Marcia Price. And this bill would direct the Board of Social Work to create a licensure alternative pathway that does not require examination. So meaning folks would have the option to go down a pathway where they can accumulate an additional 1500 hours of clinical experience in lieu of taking the ASWB exam. This bill does not eliminate the use of the ASWB exam in Virginia. However, it will provide an equitable pathway and address the behavioral health workforce crisis that we are dealing with in the state. And so we are the revolutionary news for the week because we are doing it. We did it and we're going to get this done. And so who are the we in question? So the folks that I have joining me on the podcast, um, we have Ms. Fatima Marsh who is a social worker, a very proud macro social worker, also a social work educator and consultant, as well as Kristen Lennox, who's a licensed clinical social worker who came around on the pod a couple months ago where we talked about how case management is not social work and that the children were in a tizzy. Um, and then we were supposed to be joined by one of our other comrades, Abby Phillips, who unfortunately couldn't make it to the recording because you know what? Abby is putting that work in. Session is happening and Abby got big things to do down at the state legislature. So uh, she couldn't make it with us this um, to record the episode. But Abby is the policy director for a local organization here and a very proud macro social worker as well. Y'all, I'm going to go ahead and just get into this conversation because it really fulfilled my heart uh, to be able to engage in this conversation about this journey. Um, And the change that is absolutely critical to really making sure this profession can get back to its roots of helping people and not be such an exclusionary practice or field where folks who are most proximate to oppression and pain cannot gain access to being a part of the healing that needs to happen collectively. And so, y'all, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Fatima and Kristen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Kristen, we back. Oh, Kim. We back. How Drake said, I don't even know what Drake be saying. Back for a long time, good time, whatever Drake be talking about. But we are back together again. We're back. We're (laughs) back. I love it. I love it. And I'm excited to hop into this conversation because we're going to be joined by other folks that are doing some dope work alongside us. And we'll get into that Mm -hmm. around some social work legislation that we have happening in Virginia. But I really want to, I really want to ground people, of course, in our connection your connection to the work if folks have not had an opportunity to listen to the episode me and Kristen did a couple months ago um like six months ago I believe it was on how social work is not case management and y'all we pissed people off 
You know, the truth is painful sometimes, but it hurts. I feel I validate that, you know. Um, I don't ever want to like belittle somebody's work. I think Come a on, lot yeah. of the the spectrum is important and the truth is the truth. I mean it's it's what it is. <laughs> I'll leave it there. You'll leave it right there. I mean, so just to even ground people, you already started it with your little um uh, clinical social work therapizing of people's feelings and not wanting to invalidate them. But I yeah, do I do want to make sure that folks understand just a bit of your background and story as it relates to our conversation today about yeah. this legislation. Um, that we have here in Virginia. So just kind of remind people about how yeah. you got that crossover from the direct service world into the policy world. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I started in the social work field as a pursuing clinical uh, license, uh, pursuing a license to become a clinical social worker. Um, so I, you know, I went to VCU, um, a double alum there in their social work program. And I think just myself, along many other students, received the message that, hey, if you want to work with people, you should only go micro because this there's this sort of <laughs> this narrative that if you're macro, you don't work with people, which is funny because actually I work with more people than ever in, people a in, macro, <laughs> in a macro or meso setting. Yeah. So like. The messaging you get when you're in school is if you're not a quote unquote people person, you should go macro um, and and you should like do big picture stuff. And if you're um, if you want to work with people in any sense, you should only go clinical. So I heeded that advice. I took it um, and then I pursued my LCSW. Uh, I worked with young people between the ages of two to 17 in mental health crises um, experienced by themselves and their families. Right. Because the crisis that a child, the young person experiences uh, is not an asylum. It it uh, impacts the system, of course. So um, we, uh, yeah, I, I got my license. It took about three and a half, um, almost four years to get my license. Mm. Uh, and then I and then I practiced for a while, um, and then I ended up in a position of of supervision, and I learned a lot about how messy our behavioral health systems are in Virginia, how troubling insurance and reimbursement for services is and how challenging it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that I wanted to be part of greater change to improve those behavioral health systems. So uh, I left my full-time career as a clinician and moved over to a space where I could support advocacy and engagement with policy. So state-level policy, um, and that brings me to this space of good troublemaking. I know I met you after following you for a little bit on social media, obviously being wowed by you because who isn't? Um, I know that the, I know the Kim Young fan, fan club is listening. So <laughs> and then um, you opened my eyes to the concept of moral injury. And I realized that I was holding a lot of that hurt. Uh, and it was actually through advocacy and helping to radicalize and rally other providers and helpers and healers that I find a lot of healing and I find a lot of encouragement. So that's a little, a little ditty about my journey and, and our relationship. So I'm so grateful though, that you are finally a guest with um, me here in Revolutionary Hood Rat, because there, I forget what episode it was, and it was a couple of months ago, Collective 365 definitely got a revolutionary, um, was the revolutionary news for the week. 
because y'all grant making that you're doing to support in the work that y'all are doing in like the philanthropic space um, as a black and brown led organization and founded organization folks just had to know about that shit and so now y'all we get to actually talk to the person who was one of the visionaries behind uh collective 365 and so fatima thank you so much for showing up with me um even on founders day as a yeah. what, what am i called a gdi is that is that what i am yes a GDI, even as sure, a GDI. I hate that term. <laughs> so the place that I always love to start with people is um, really sharing the journey that brought you into this field. And the reason I like to ask this question of black and brown folks that come into this work is because our stories are often left out, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of how we landed here. And so I would love to hear your story, what brought you into social work. Quick and dirty, I wanted to be an attorney because I wanted to be the support that I wish I would have gotten when I had my first legal experience as a victim of sexual abuse. Um, so I was like, that's the way to like give back to the world is to be an attorney. Quickly learned by every attorney and judge I met that I would not be doing anything um, by going to law school they were just like that's not you're not helping mm. like just the system that you have to play um, and I appreciated that it was disappointing because I had said so that incident with being um, abused happened in sixth grade so from sixth grade all the way through college I'm preparing for law attorney yes wow. I'm the, the attorney um so found out that that wasn't the best way to support survivors. Came across a friend from high school who was at the same university as me and was like, I'm doing social work. And I was like, I don't want to be taking nobody's kids. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, um, that's not what we do. And I was like, so who? So I, you know, went from a place of ignorance to one of being informed and learned that she was right, that social work does do a little bit more. Um, and I was sold. Mm. So I applied to different schools, you know, got in, but I went in thinking that I needed to do clinical social work. Mm. Yeah. Um, That's the lie they sell us. They, they told me that is where the money is. That yeah. is where you would have the most impact with survivors. Um, and so I said, okay, like, say less. Two months into the program, I was ready to drop out and I applied mm. to Howard Law because I was like, I understand y'all saying I'm not going to be doing what I thought I was going to do, but I can't do this. I can't, I can't do clinical. <laughs> um, so I stayed with the clinical track, um, but then declared macro. Mm. So at that time, the program allowed you to take clinical electives. So that's what I did. So I took all the clinical electives, but I also took all the coursework to be a macro social worker. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, I still stayed true to what I wanted to do, which was, you know, working with survivors of domestic um, intimate partner violence and sexual assault. Um, but I just realized that while I was good in the therapeutic space, it wasn't um, good for my heart. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so, so I quickly shifted to like, how can I impact legislation? How can I do, um, prevention? Like I want to get yeah. to the, 
where you don't need a therapist because hopefully this ain't gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah. how I, I got here. So if I'm um I'm not using my therapist ears, if I'm using just my regular ears, it sounds like I have have I'm talking to another person that fell into social work by accident. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna mm-hmm. hold y'all. Like every person that I have talked to, um, black and brown folk that I have talked to on this podcast, when they share their story about the field of social work, nobody tells me how they dreamed of always wanting to become a social worker. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. Because no. like I told you, for the longest up yeah. until my junior year of college, I thought social workers were just snatching babies and ruining mm-hmm. yeah community. That that was what I knew. Um, and my grandmother actually worked in CPS in New York and Brooklyn. And so, yeah, that's my frame of reference. All right, we'll yeah. see y'all. I want to take a moment and talk about this because we all have the same experience of going through VCU social work program. But Tima, you were outnumbered. You got two micro people and <laughs> one macro person in terms of you know the tracks that we had in school but we all have shared the same level of frustration I believe with like being told you had to choose and uh-huh. in some instances like feeling forced you had to go one way right which was typically yeah. the micro way because I for team and I we had like one year in school together you were the he- year ahead of me Mm-hmm. And even when I think about folks in my graduating class, after the first year of grad school, you didn't see people if they went the macro way. You only saw the people that were in the micro courses with you. Uh-huh. And so for you, Kristen and Fatima, when you think about your experience going through grad school and then now, right, like settled into your careers, y'all have been working for a minute. Um, what is that? What are those experiences or perspective that you have from your two vantage points of going through a micro track and the um, macro track? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, Kim. I mean, like for me, dividing the two as if they're, I mean, like it almost like creates this, like it's just divisive, right? It's, it it makes it as if they're opposing instead of Mm. some, something that needs to work together, right? To let me, to let us, Kim, enter into a clinical setting without understanding the gravity of the systems and the gravity of the policy that was creating this harm for the people that we're trying to support, that was a huge disservice to us, right? Mm. If you take one policy class, you take one policy class and you just kind of skirt through it because you're, they just tell you to focus on clinical. Um, and so like, then you enter this thing thinking you're changing the world when really you're putting a bunch of band-aids on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the harm for me, frankly. And sometimes you don't even have band-aids to put on. So there's that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> as somebody who took both, so yes, that it was divided but I was able to see all the micro cohort and the macro. I just remember being in classes being like, these people, not all, but a lot of them, because some of them are my friends that I still talk to now. um, They're going to jack people up because they didn't know. They didn't know anything aside from like, are you able to tell me how you're feeling? Are you able to, you know, like they could have that kind of conversation, but they were hanging their hat on like, oh, we're different from psychology because we look at, you know, person and environment. But I'm like, my guy, you don't know about 
program development or environment know. if we're being honest Sorry. right you know what i mean like you don't know that about, part you don't know about <laughs> legislation you yeah. you're you're just kind of missing a whole part of the environment but yet you're positioning yourselves to be the answer um when Oof. you yourself don't have the answer so that's kind of like what my takeaway was as somebody that got to be in the classes at the same time yeah uh, I and I felt like I came out I think that's why I practice differently than mm -hmm. like a the the average macro person because I did so I will say it's not like a shade of like one is better to Kristen's yeah. point it's not about competition um, even though I do like to recruit macro people, um, <laughs> but I just have a different affinity um, for how all of it connects yeah. in a way that I feel like some of my friends did not until like maybe five years post-grad. Mm. And I'm like, yo, how many people have you talked to in five years? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the the possible damage or the missed opportunities because unfortunately you have to do the on the job learning you know so yeah, yeah. well I feel cheated uh. right I start I straight up feel Ooh, bamboozled and bamboozled hoodwinked everything diddy bop whatever you said earlier Kristen that's what I feel I feel I feel cheated because you know I did yeah. not get an adequate introduction into policy to truly understand how important it is and how it applies mm -hmm. into the direct service world, not just the big programs. I mean, the big policies that govern, right? Like the federal, state mm -hmm. and local, but like the policies inside of organizations and institutions that Oof. your programs are under, right? So like not even understanding that level of policy then mm -hmm. made it difficult for me as an early career social worker to really like figure out how I can make a difference in my macro space, right? Because I didn't understand yeah. the policy of like programs the administration of programs and services and those yeah. policies and how I had some sort of power to impact that, even though I couldn't see bigger and beyond into like the, the state level and the federal level world of policy. So I certainly mm -hmm. feel cheated that my social work education did not at the bare minimum, like break down policy in the micro world, if they're not going to mm -hmm. talk to us about it, like the legislative in the legislative space. Yeah. I mean, I, I meet so many social workers now when they find out that I'm macro who will look at me and I'm talking about, I've they've been practicing for 10 years, who will yeah. look at me and say, I don't have any experience with policy. You do though. <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to say because their whole thing is like, oh, a bill yeah. or yeah. the federal government, you know, like they, they're still not, seeing it and that's what is concerning because they're writing programs and inside yeah. of programs you're embedding policy like when you are writing a program you're essentially like writing policies on how to administer the services inside of a program yeah. policy work but imagine trying to write that and not knowing yeah how it works yeah and not yeah. knowing how the day-to-day -day of someone's life or how something mm. is running it's it's how are you supposed to write that when you have literally no concept of what what is actually happening feet on the ground like at the moment moment right absolutely so what i've been hanging on from our conversation previously together um kristen is about you talked about how dangerous it is when big picture people people and small people 
small picture people don't talk to each other right and like what can happen um and that was one of the catalysts for me being like all right I gotta figure out who can I start to talk to about like this piece of legislation that we'll get into which is H H House Bill 606 right um and I really want to shine light on how much power and how it is incredibly needed for the big picture people and the small picture people to come together and talk and we are like the reflection of that in so many different ways right so it's like a collective of a macro and micro social workers people who also operate in the meso space i also will say like i'm not even a big fan of separating us i think we're all just yeah. we should all be together because yeah. when they when people in organize in the organizing world when you separate that's how you debilitate movements yeah right so I believe like we all should be together anyway. Yeah. But I want to just continue the conversation and lift up from y'all's uh, perspectives is how important it is for the macro and the micro social workers to come together and stand uh -huh. in power to like get things done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'll even like, I'll clarify, right? Like when we talk about like, people that focus on like the moment to moment, right? People that hone in and the people that zoom out. Um, I mean, like it reminds me of like, it's like a magnifying glass, right? Like it's still, it's the same tool <laughs> just because it has multiple functions, right? Or like bifocal glasses, right? We can see through the lens in two different ways. And honestly, we can see things better when we have one another's support, when we have one another's context, right? Like I, um, I, since moving to like a more mezzo level space, like the in-between, I, I think that I know, I'm, I'm grateful that I know so much more about how the system influences my day-to-day -day work, but it makes me wish I knew that as when I was doing the day-to-day -day work so I could understand how to do it different, how to tell that story, how to like impact change based on my personal stories as a clinician. Um, and policymakers, lawmakers need those day-to-day -day stories. Mm. Um, and because, but because we're so divided and because we don't work, we don't get opportunities to work together as we're trying to do here, then um, you don't, you, maybe you don't think that your day-to-day, -day, you know, your case management, moral, inner, moral injury is going to inform policy, right? You think that your, your or, or you know you get so caught up in other people's stories you forget that you have your own story for example so um at least i mean I, that's speaking for myself and my experience when i wasn't exposed to more opportunities to collude with my fabulous macro Delusion. colleagues <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love what you both are saying about they need to smush and there shouldn't be the divide because as you were talking about the storytelling, I'm thinking about how, you know, you're trying to mobilize people to come and share their stories with legislators. But whenever I do trainings on like legislative advocacy, I say like, you are the policymaker because without your story, you know, mm -hmm. I think we, when we get so caught up in being like, I'm a micro practitioner um, and I'm just helping the macro person or the legislator um, but being able to reframe it like you both said about it's just all about being um, and without those stories 
we wouldn't have policy. Like yeah. whenever, whenever you track policy that's been introduced multiple times, whenever you look back and say like, oh, what was the thing that made it pass? It's always because people came down to share their stories. Now it gets into the like, how do we make it more accessible? Yes. Um, but I don't know if we have time to get into that, but that's another <laughs> we'll talk about that. Oh. about oh. how we use people to to share their stories. And this is also a missed opportunity to have clinical people be present because you know, people bring me in and ask me to do trainings and stuff, and I'm like, okay, it's cool that we prep them on how to tell their story, but that is emotional labor. So where, yeah, where yeah, are yeah. we coming on the back end yeah. to yeah. like wrap our arms around them? And as somebody that's testified from her own personal trauma, yeah, yeah. like it's heavy. I went yeah. on crying, you know, and yeah. I'm a professional. Um, yeah. I couldn't imagine somebody else, but sorry, I digress. Let me. Yeah. No, it's a, such a valid point. I mean, like we acknowledge that truth telling and storytelling have healing properties. That's why therapy and talk therapy has been the like foundation for most therapeutic treatment, right? Because mm -hmm. truth telling and storytelling is deeply healing. So, you know, yeah, when we ask folks to bear their souls at meetings, um, but we also don't wrap them in care and recognize that, um, oh, like, what we've done then is we've treated this as a transaction. Hey, yes. you, depo you deposit your story, you get changed. It's not actually how it should work. Also, you just burn through advocates when you do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're not creating a transformational relationship and actually trying to like evoke change together and trying to like uh, manifest something together in collusion with one another. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I, I, I just wanted to like totally ditto that Fatima. It's, I mean, it, it's giving tokenization. It's like, it's not there's no care yeah. there. Um, yeah. and it's, it's hard to see. Um, but you're, but you're right. When somebody is too far above and can't recognize that that is harm, um, yeah. because of their agenda and their goal. I mean, the, the implications are, I think it's really hard and I think it can cause a lot of harm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but speaking about uh, collusion, I want to take a moment to talk about our collusion. <laughs> talk about uh house bill 606 which we have here in the commonwealth of virginia um being carried by delegate marcia price this session and the goal behind house bill 606 is to create a clinical licensure alternative um to the social work license here in the state that would not require an applicant to take the aswb exam right and so with this bill, y'all, it will direct the Board of Social Work to implement this alternative pathway. Because as we did our digging and research and trying to figure out the best way to approach this, what we ultimately discovered, or for me, it was like, actually just affirms that the Board of Social Work in the state of Virginia has a tremendous amount of power. Like, I don't know if folks really understand how much power the Board of Social Work has to truly regulate the entire field. Much of the laws that govern the practice of social work are not embedded inside of the Code of Virginia, but sit in the administrative section of the code, which directs the board to decide what we do and do not do as a profession. And so when Fatima, you bring up like the accessibility part of it all, as somebody who has made several attempts to try to attend board meetings, we don't have to go down that route, but it's the fact that they happen about four to six times a year if they do not get postponed or canceled in R Richmond. You have to be in Richmond to attend the meeting. And they last from 10 a.m. to about 2 p.m. on Fridays. 
They do not allow people to attend or be a part of them virtually. You have to come in person um, here in Richmond to attend the Board of Social Work meetings. But that's a conversation for a different day. When we're uh, thinking about House Bill 606 and the work that has gone into getting it to this place, I must say, in reflection, I knew it would happen. When I was like, oh, no, I got to hit up the team and, and Kristen, I got to figure out how we get this shit done. Um, I was like, because this is a part of, right, like tapping into social work skills. I knew where my skills tapped out and where it was time to like link with other people to figure out how we get this thing going and what better way than using the both in the entirety of our profession to see this happen, right? Like a collective of social workers see like making this happen because we're claiming it, we're manifesting it, making this happen. Um, and I really want to take a moment for Fatima, from your perspective, I'm gonna get to it. I wanna talk about the harm of the, the ASWB exam, but I just kind of recalled some of our initial conversations with Fatima and Abby who couldn't be with us today, who's also a macro social worker. When we were retelling like all the shit it takes to become a clinical social worker in Virginia, like they were both like, what? Mm -hmm. Huh? Like confused, like how complicated, <laughs> how complicated know that process how, is. Idea. <laughs> yeah, and you're not alone. I textbook. No, I was just saying like, all I knew yeah. was like the steps and I thought it was cut and dry. I love that for you. I just wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. it was you know like I was like oh like yeah. when I read this this is easy like that makes sense <laughs> and then y'all were telling me and then I read I think it was like two years ago you had like started having these conversations when yeah. 2022 yeah. and yeah it was just mind-blowing that we were doing this to one another yeah mm. Mm. and it so hasn't like, always been like this absolutely and yeah. it has not always been like this. So just real quick to become and chime in, Kristen, because you went through this process too. But to become a licensed clinical social worker in Virginia, please understand that you have already would have had to complete an undergraduate education, uh -huh. be accepted and complete a um, accredited social work program on the clinical track, which is a different coursework that you have to take and different uh -huh. field placements you have to take to qualify you. After you complete that program and graduate in Virginia, you then have to register with the Board of Social Work to begin supervision. That is a fee-based registration. So you pay to yep, register. You're already paying just to <laughs> out fill out the, the gate, form. Just to fill <laughs> just out the form. Out the gate. Out the gate. And it's a couple, and there's a lapse in between when you apply and then when you're approved. Oh, there's and, a wait. There's yeah. a wait. And beyond that, y'all, you have to find employment that qualifies as clinical social yep. work. And they're very prescriptive as to what that type of employment is. One of the primary qualifiers is you have to be doing assessments, right? Like that's a really big one in terms of getting qualified clinical social work approval through your employer. This already is a challenge for a number of new graduates because a lot of people are looking to hire folks who already have some level of clinical experience. And a lot of folks who are just graduating do not have that mainly because they're in field placements where they're not doing clinical work, if we're being honest. Mm. Um, and so they're already set up in a really bad situation when they're seeking employment. So let's just say somebody is able to graduate from grad school and find a job within six months. We're winning, right? They apply, 
They wait a couple months to get approved by the Board of Social Work to then begin their supervision. And this is all assuming that they're at a place of employment that has a supervisor there that can provide their supervision and hopefully pay for it. If not, that's what they got to do. They got to go out on their own to find somebody to do their supervision and pay out of pocket at a rate between like $100 and $120 per hour. And they need a hundred of those. Not already making a lot of money to begin. Not already making a lot of money. When I got out of grad school, my first job out of grad school, I made $36,500. Ooh, I was balling in. $36,500, right? Um, And so once that individual is able to get a clinical supervisor, they begin their journey and they cannot finish that um, before two years is up. Right. It's kind of like within the regulations that it's going to take you two years to go through your clinical supervision, get your hundred hours. And there's certain things that count. Right. So it's oh, yeah. like it's, it's face to face hours. Right. Oh, so yeah. you could be you could be on the phone with your client dealing with their mental health like crisis, mm-hmm. supporting them mm-hmm. for like five hours in a day. It doesn't count because mm-hmm. it's not face to face. Right. I don't know what it looks like now in a post lockdown world. Right. Like, I don't know how they, if, if they so I don't even know if they've made adjustments. I mean, they probably, you know, they, haven't. Still, they made adjustments they, for clinical supervision, not supervised experience. Okay. You can meet with your supervisor but, virtually. But let's yeah. back up for clinical internships or field placements it has to be face-to-face and now post-covid if we're really post um a lot of agencies are not in person right and so we as a as a former field director i'm struggling now to find placements that will meet the qualification so that they can say that they were in a clinical program. Yeah. And we're in a behavioral health workforce crisis, right? Like there are countless uh, young people and adults on endless wait lists. Um, And I mean, I'll get the number in a second, but the, the way the places, the the numbers at which we rank in Virginia with access to mental health is, are staggering and shocking and upsetting. It's embarrassing. Uh, It's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And then you think about like Virginia is massive, right? Like toe to toe, it's like what seven, eight hours long, maybe. Like there are deeply rural areas of Virginia that can't access mental health, and so what? We're still gonna gatekeep them from telehealth, telemental health because mm-hmm. we've decided that that is not an effective form of treatment in a literally digital world. Like you yeah. could make all these kids go to school, but you can't let them see a therapist virtually. Right. That is doesn't make sense at all yeah and we're not even going to get into the insurance conversation but even in this timeline of a pathway towards licensure somebody still once they get these three thousand hours of supervised experience and a hundred hours of clinical supervision this does not mean they're licensed yet because guess what they have to do now now they got to apply to the board to get approval to take a test then they got to pay to take the test right and so and they got to pay for materials to practice the test because there's you have to take it because if you don't take a practice test you are completely screwed because oh, yeah. they literally trick you on these tests yeah. they literally try to catch you so if you don't get used to how they ask questions you're not gonna you make are it. you're screwed yeah you have so you have it. to shell out you have to shell out what hundred dollars per practice test or more if you buy it directly from them 
plus yeah. materials. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't practice, you're screwed. You're not going to yeah. pass. That's just yeah. it. And so what we know as of August of 2022 is that the Association of Social Work Board Exams, which is the the nonprofit organization that netted $38 million in 2022, um, they are the ones that administer the social work uh, licensure exam across the entire country and plus U.S. territories. So regulatory boards like the Virginia Board of Social Work go into agreement with the ASWB that they will utilize their exam as the one that we take here to be able to secure our license as a clinical social worker. And this exam is deeply flawed. It is incredibly biased. It is what a number of social work educators have been saying for decades. It is what the Association of Black Social Workers have been saying from the inception. They knew what this exam would do and people did not listen to them. But the AS, the Black Social Work Association, they knew exactly what was going to happen. And I also think it is important for Virginia to remember it did not always have the exam. So when I'm talking to people about what we're trying to accomplish, I have to help them get the radical belief and imagination to dream again that it was not always this way. Virginia introduced the exam in the 90s. Prior to that, like people used to go up to the Board of Social Work and do case presentations. <laughs> like they would review cases they were working on and like walk through their journey of how they supported and diagnosed that client. And the board would be like, oh, this is cute. You did good. And then you would get your little license, right? It's almost like defending your thesis. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah and then there was like a little Scantron situation that I guess the board just decided they wanted to have, but it was not this exam that is deeply flawed and biased where black social workers are failing it at rates double to white social workers the first time they take it, where folks where English is not their first language, they are struggling oh immensely. And the, the Association of Social Work Board refuses to administer or issue this test in other languages. That is such a shame. That is an absolute travesty. Because when we talk about, I mean, when we talk about healing-centered practices in general, Black and Brown people have been doing them um, like oh, yeah. from like in, like from an indigenous space like for all time right like they have actually set the standard of what it is to heal and do healing work um and then we have this test that was written in a very western like language right and very with like a very western ideology around also like westernized concepts of what healing mm -hmm. is and what it looks like when you i mean like so so to exclude english language learners entirely yeah. um yeah. and to gatekeep them from this profession when they actually have a roadmap to healing that our white counterparts could learn so much of and that can't be taught right? Like it can't be taught. You can't teach it. You can't teach yeah. it. And the test will never measure the effectiveness of anybody's ability to practice. The yeah. test in the way it has been explained to me before, of course, is, you know, we hear it all the time. Make sure you transform your mind into like a 42 year old white woman in the Midwest named Margaret. When you sit down, yep. test. how many people tell us that that's already a problem. Um, but beyond that, to your point, Kristen, like the language is coded as fuck. I have to drop my first F-bomb. It is incredibly <laughs> coded because they give you the options. What would you do next? What would you yeah. do first? What would yeah. You do right? Like it's incredibly coded. And a lot of what they're really testing is, are you going to break the law? They don't care. Ethics. 
just ethics ethics they don't really care if you know how to do anything do you just understand the law yeah um and people, and I was, you know, when I talked to younger social workers or people who are preparing to take the test, they be telling, oh yeah, I got study guides and I made cars on different diagnoses and medication. I'm like, baby, you don't even know that. Because the thing is, <laughs> you, what, you, what you're telling me is that we're supposed to be a manual for something when honestly, honestly, if you were a good, in my mind, if you were a good social worker, you're already conferring with people because you're not doing your social work in a silo. If you're a good if you're a good social worker, if you're a good healer and a provider, you are doing some sort of peer supervision. You're checking in with somebody, right? You you know, you're like vetting your resources. You're continuously learning. What you're saying here is that like, oh, because you've passed some exam on law and ethics, you're an expert in helping other people uncover their inner child and heal, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. No, it's just it's about diagnosis. It's just about ethics. Um, and honestly, the best I would rather any day, I would rather see a therapist that has had out many hours of supervision and support from someone else to, to, on how to deal and work with people over somebody who is good at sitting and taking an exam, yeah. who is freshly, freshly graduated and like, hasn't lived a lot of life. I would rather see the person that has had a lot of work experience. Mm -hmm. That's just me. It's the truth. And one of the arguments from the regulatory side is that the ASWB exam keeps, well, regulatory boards are designed to keep the public safe, right? Um, but exams don't do that. Exams have never kept any public safe. It's just not what they're, they're there for. They're there to gatekeep. They're there to decide who gets access to something and who does not. And now that we have more evidence on who is being kept out of the field of social work through this exam, it's really time to make a change. And so you said something very important, like supervision, good supervision is what makes or breaks a good therapist, a good social worker, not a test. And so with this examination alternative, um, it will require folks to like opt in to doing an additional 1500 hours of supervision. And the more people that I talk to um, who hear that, oh, they're like, oh, that's it. That, what word? Because we even like people who have been doing the work for a minute. And I know I hear a frustration from my colleagues who are now providing clinical supervision is like people who are seeking supervision. They actually been being it longer. Um, people, <laughs> people are out here struggling, trying to find their way into this work. And supervision is a way for them to really work through some stuff. Getting back yeah. to your point, Fatima, before they get in front of people and make people's lives worse. Because right. there used to actually be, you mentioned that the exam wasn't forever. Sorry, I cut you off, Fatima. Mm -mm. But there also used to be a requirement for folks to have gone through some amount of therapy. Because how are you out here telling people how to do, if you've never gone through, that's very strange to me. Do you know how many therapists have refused to and have never received any sort of treatment for themselves as if they haven't gone through something? Um, that's, that seems, I don't know. I think that's, that's strange to me. Maybe that's yeah. just me, but like, yeah, having that supervisory experience. But what you're also saying is that you pass this test and you know all about all people when that's <laughs> not true because we're not all the same. And so we can't yeah. all be helped the same. We can't all be like supported the same. Um, ethics are gray because there is no, they're not black and white. There are things that happen. There are different you know, they're not only different cultures, but just we all have different experiences anyways. So to say that one solution is the same for everybody, which is what an exam says, yeah, does not make any, it does not make any sense at all. And, you know, I'm in this I fight mean, for personal reasons. Go ahead, Fatima. 
No, I was just going to say, but yes, all, all of that makes sense. And again, when you talked earlier, both of you were mentioning how like the exam um, is saying that, you know, there's kind of like a one size fits all for the, the response, but it's because there is no value placed in how non-white people do things, right? And so when you look at Tim saying in the 90s, there was that shift. What also happened in the 90s and from 2000 to present? Rack. Rack. More, more Black and brown people are graduating with degrees. And so, okay, I'm gonna let you get this degree, but I'm also going to ensure that whiteness is the standard for healing. And so I think that it's, yes, I was shocked, but like, as I was listening to it, I'm like, it actually follows suit. Like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not mad at the consistency though. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to oppress, you, you were consistent, you know, because mm -hmm. I even think about as a professor, how we talk about, and I have my own internal struggles with APA, but in thinking about how we communicate, the value that we place on how our students are communicating their lived experience and what they know, which also then ties back to like, oh, you need to go to therapy so that you can experience this. But we center this idea of like the helper can never be helped. Mm. And so there is more like appreciation for the person who's like, no, I don't need to go to therapy. Like, I'm good. I don't want to, you know, do this because you are the savior. You are the helper. And so that, like, I don't know. I just feel like it all like points back to white supremacy and like it all is consistent. No, I'm not saying that makes it right. I know. But I'm like, the, the dots are connecting. I mean, doesn't everything point back to white supremacy though? At I'm the end of the day, like, you know, like, like it, that makes sense. it's tracking. Like, yeah, it means, tracks. Yeah. It tracks. And then right. even the more conversations that I have with people, and I think about folks in my own life who have been trying to pass this exam for going on almost 10 years now, right? Like, because I'll be, I have been licensed eight years this year, I believe. And we've been on the exact same timeline in our journey. Wow. We have yet to be able to pass the exam. And having a conversation with um, a social worker that is in Suffolk, I believe, uh, through my social media account, who has sat for this exam six times and has mm -hmm. spent over $3,000 in test prep trying Ugh. to pass it, but has been doing this work for over a decade. Yeah, and, we, and, and we have such a, and we have- was pissed off. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, we, we have- a really, we have a booming and uh, beautiful Latin A community that has is not getting services. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and instead, what we're really saying <laughs> is that you can be bilingual and provide services. So you're either, I mean, you're 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 you could be white and providing this service in Spanish, and then what? I mean, like, what competency do you have in the Latin A experience just because you speak Spanish? Um, so, I mean, like, so we're still saying again, um, hey, if you're, you know, a, a Spanish speaker of Latin descent, 
um, you can't provide services. And, and so, and, and then there's, you know, there's stigma, there's mental health stigma um, in that, in that space. And there's a lack of trust because all of their providers, a majority of the providers do not look like them, right. do not live like right. them, have not grown up like them. Um, so, I mean, like, yeah, and there's just, there's an impending crisis in that space as well. I okay. want a civil action suit. We can talk you know, about I, that off, offline. I, wanna, I got a draft. I know, I, I know somebody who's doing it, not in this state though, but. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I want to be like Karen and call 911. Like. <laughs> I'm having an emergency. I can't get a provider because y'all acting a fool. Like yeah. I, I need this to be seen in court. I'm, I'm not joking. Like I, I know really you're not because we, we've been in a crisis and there's this level of disservice that continues to happen to folks in Virginia, but across the entire country because of the oppressive and unnecessary uh-huh. examination to be able to get access to a field where it's already hard enough and beyond that like imagine you're the person that has done everything right right like you follow the rules you check Mm -hmm. the boxes you did everything but pass a test can we also speak to the fact that we have this the opposition to this bill is like keeping the public safe yeah attorney Mm -hmm. because you know i used to want to be one they graduate they sit for the bar they don't have to get super, they don't have to practice law before they have the ability to have somebody's liberty in their mm-hmm. hand. Yeah. But yeah, we're here talking about somebody getting mental health services and you are making them go through all. And again, I'm not saying that yeah. I want lawyers to have to practice yeah. for sitting, but I want us to think about the fact that we are comfortable with saying liberty like somebody's freedom can just be left to somebody who has three years of education and passes a test but I'm trying to help people liberate themselves and you don't want to see that through like that's Uh that does not make sense to me like legit somebody's freedom yeah like yeah you don't where yeah, sorry. It doesn't. They don't need to apologize. It's an archaic process that I, I truly believe that the Virginia Board of Social Work is so deep down in a dark hole that they have, haven't really found a way to come out of it. I have this level of faith that there is some desire within, I'm hopeful, there's a desire within some of the board members to really want to change right? What is happening to the field of social work? Because we can't deny all the evidence that's in front of us. We have a report that has released that this examination is faulty. It's biased, right? (laughs) And we're in a workforce, behavioral health workforce crisis. Like there's a shortage across the entire state of folks. And then we're losing social workers at astronomical rates. And beyond that, the enrollment in social work programs, like people are not choosing this anymore because of the regulations and the process that is involved to get to the other side to help people. Well, people just want to help people. Yeah. And in the process of getting traumatized and abused. Yeah. Just want to help people. It's wild. It's so wild to me to like 10 toes down, say this test is racist. 
and then just not even pursue an alternative. That is isn't that wild? Truly flabbergasting. Because like, they're blaming be, the test takers. I don't know. To it's, just with your whole chest out yeah. say, we know this exam is racist, yeah. but we're not going to do anything else. Like, nah. why are we okay with that? Like, we're not okay. okay. And we, the people who are saying that, are supposed to be us. for us by <laughs> us, right? So I'm just like. What are we doing? Like, that's why I say, you know, my, what's her name? Jane? What's the one? Jane Adams ain't my lady. Thank (laughs) you. I was like, I got Ella, I got Dorothy, them, Eugene. my lady. Those, my people. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Because they, they saw the profession as, not a profession right like that's the other thing it wasn't supposed to be this this thing with power right Mm -hmm. it was being amongst the people with the people for the people and so then it became this and so y'all we are in the in the the meat of i don't even know the analogy i'm looking for shit is getting real session is (laughs) is here session is session Session is here y'all and i'm you know i want to extra love to Kristen. i know (laughs) and how do we activate people how do we activate folks i love this part this is my favorite this is my jam i love this part um we tell these stories right so these uh, first of all i mean like the licensure process like we've just demystified the licensure process is incredibly complex it does not make sense it's confusing People have no idea, like you said, Kim, what it takes to become a licensed clinical social worker in Virginia, one of the top three states, one of the top three hardest states to become licensed in. Um, It's like pretty much if you get licensed here, you're licensed in most other states, I think, with the exception of, I think, California. I can't remember the other one. Um, And so it's about talking about that, right? Like, how many times did it take you? How much did it cost you? Um, or if you're on the recip- if you're on the consumer side, if you're looking for a therapist, how hard has it been to find a therapist who speaks your language? How hard has it been to find a therapist who looks like you, who has a background like you, right? So telling those stories because um, what they have, is, we can we can share the data, right? We as a as an amazing team have put together a really incredible you know set of resources. You can research these things. They can find these things out. But what they don't have are the stories of who are getting left out of treatment, out of care, um, out of being a provider because of the gatekeeping and the barriers that are created by this very faulty system. So that's where I will start of, of how to get people, how to activate people. Yeah. What you got? So I'm going to add, say yes. And those folks who have gotten a license, like they got it the way that it was mapped out on the little website and the hand and the like diagram and you are white I need you to speak to how when you don't have those other voices how that impacts your practice Mm. so going back to Kim's point about big picture little picture even if it's not big versus little but it's just the diversity of a thought and like people understanding and one of the things that Kim you know checked me on was like me saying like well I don't know like I'll be back up because you know I'm not licensed but realizing like this is still my fight and I think reframing it so 
for those of you who are like, well, I did it and I didn't have any problems or, you know, I did it and I want to see that for other people, but I don't really know how to say it. Like that story is just as important too. So like just reminding folks not to be like, you know, not my dog, not my fight, you know, like you don't get to do that because now you are becoming the problem. Um, and so if you could also frame that as this is your, um, issue and that it's, it is critical to your career. Like, it's not like, oh, I want to help those other, um, clients who didn't want to come to me because I didn't look like them or I didn't speak like them, but you boo-boo, oh, boo -boo. <laughs> you, you need those of us who have sat for six years and not been licensed yeah um yeah. so yeah we are we are because okay I don't know if I you might just edit this out if it's too much but if you don't have us then who are you gonna steal from anyway Ooh. so like a lot of the stuff that y'all doing and relabeling you know Brene Brown in it like who are you getting it from so you like already know you need that 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 diversity of thought you you have to yeah. have so if that yeah. doesn't sell you I don't know what but yeah I just yeah. I wanted yeah. to yeah different the, ways the very, of yeah. <laughs> yeah so what I hear you saying Fatima is diversify your bond so you can co-opt better so if that's <laughs> if that's gonna fuel your fire then go for it our allies you know um yeah. but I mean yeah I mean like yeah I think something else I think of is is um education right that's how you activate people so like if you're whether you're telling your story i think we've talked about telling your story in the context of like the legislative process right telling your story by emailing your this is a house bill so your delegate in virginia or other delegates in virginia um folks that hit sit on the on on committee chairs and stuff um but also just telling your story to folks that are unaware of the, how laborsome, how burdensome and costly this process is mm -hmm. and why it's it, why it's exacerbating the behavioral health workforce crisis. Um, because we can say all day we need more counselors. We can say we all day that we need more therapists in schools, but where are they coming from, right? Um, yeah. And how do we get yeah. them there? So um, this is uh, this is as this is as much of a dog in the fight of of workforce um, of the workforce crisis and and getting for getting more clinicians, licensed professionals that look like us, that sound like us, that live like us, um, and uh, it's about educating people because they don't understand, like you said, Cam, how hard it is. So not just educating legis legislators, but um, other folks who are looking for treatment, who are mad about wait lists, who are yep. mad about how yep. long it takes letting them know why, like one of the pieces why, which is this piece, so that they can activate their, you know, spheres of influence and and keep moving, moving the dial. And and also reaching out to where you got your degree, you mm -hmm. know, and letting them know, hey, like this, it was cute that you were ranked number 11 and blah, 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 <laughs> but I'm on the struggle bus. And I need you to notice, I need you to report on that in your little newsletter when you're asking me for $5. You know what I'm saying? Like, so educating the schools too, because yeah. again, they like to hang their hat on, oh, we have this ranking or we have this percentage of graduates on time and things like that. But 
you graduating on time and you ain't got a license to get a job, like what we doing? What are we talking about here? And so making sure you're educating them on what that impact has been and so that they will mobilize um, current students as well. Yeah, Because all people are reading on the surface of this bill as we proposed it is uh, a change in standards. And we're not saying that at all. We're saying that there should be more than one option. We're saying that uh, deriving an entire exam that sits on the shoulders of white supremacist ideology and emphasis on language and emphasis on reading, right? Um, it's it's excluding a huge amount of people. So we're, what we're saying is like, you know, open open minds up and educate, right? Um, so I think those are, there's so many ways we activate political Absolutely. education, letter writing, so many things. Absolutely. So three things. One, I'm not deleting the Brene Brown comment because, <laughs> yeah. um, Number two, to what you shared a bit earlier, Fatima, I am the I am an example of somebody that did not have a hard time passing this test. Took it one time. I'm a pretty decent test taker, only studied for maybe six weeks, didn't pay for any study materials, passed the test, right? I didn't have no problems. Um, that doesn't mean this is not my fight, because this is my mm. fight, right? Yeah. This is my fight. And the third thing is I want to close this out with my absolute favorite question. And it has a lot to do with hood red shit. And so I'm going to ask it two different ways. You could decide which way you want to answer the question. It can be, what are you looking forward to doing when session is over? Or what type of hood red activities are you engaging in to help you maintain some sanity during session? Whichever one you want to go to. Um. I like to, I'm, I'm going to do some future oriented thinking. Okay. So I'm going to think okay. about post session. Okay. Um, I can't talk about the present at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> what brings me joy is some good troublemaking at the present. Um, oh, I'm also doing, I'm in a Filipino dance troupe and we're getting ready for some performances. Ooh. We're performing at the, uh, we're actually performing at a wizard Celtics game in March. So are you famous? Um, <laughs> I know I've talked to you about this. So just moving my body and being with my people has brought me a lot of joy. But what I'm looking forward to in future is travel and getting away and like going somewhere where the emails can't find me. Wherever that is, I want to go to that place. Yeah. So that's what's that future oriented thinking is is getting me through these cold, gloomy days. <laughs> what about you, Fatima? I'm trying to pop lock and drop it more in DC hey. right now. Not uh, pop lock and drag. You didn't just age yourself. About seven to six years old. Pop lock and uh, Darren's dance grooves and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to see about the Megan needs. Um, and then in the future, um, hmm. Yeah, I guess travel. I'll I'll go with with traveling and utilizing my rest deck that Kristen got me. Yes, the rest deck. Rest. Uh, Miss Trisha. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Oh my God, resting deeply, deeply and profoundly. Yeah. Absolutely love that. What about you? Yeah, Kim. Yeah, bring what it home. What am I? I mean, I live I live a constant life of hood red shit, and so. <laughs> What is the, what is, how do you, what extrapolate, like, what is the, the neck, what is the big version like, of that? The big version of that, it, ha it probably has 
much to do with I want to work towards being able to afford a sabbatical. So Ooh. sabbatical Kim is probably uh who ridiculous. <laughs> I'm trying Ooh. to get in with sabbatical Ooh. Kim. Oh my goodness. So I'm gonna keep micro dosing hood rat shit because the goal <laughs> I want like a hood rat sabbatical. Oh my I deserve gosh. it and I got I'm gonna figure out how to take it. Oh I've been carry on depending on how they are made. So <laughs> receive it. I receive it. I receive it. Um, y'all, thank you so much, not just for joining me on the podcast, but agreeing to make sense to sacrifice your time, right? Your energy, yourself, everything in terms of not just this bill. Um, but for me, just the evidence that when people come together with goodwill, good good intention, right? Um, for like a collective idea, like we can really make shit shape. And I think it is important and it feeds my soul to be able to get the reminders because this work is daunting. People right. are disappointing, right? People are disappointing. Y'all are not. And so <laughs> I thank I'm you. I'm talking about this point. And I'm okay with that. Like, I, yeah. But what did Kristen say? I'm unburdening myself. I'm burdening. <laughs> Always not disappoint. I'm okay disappointing. People I would love to be, I would love to be mediocre as hell. The problem That's my is, goal. I could have said problem. people are shitty and thank you for not being shitty, but I was trying to reserve my cusses. I would love to be me mediocre as hell. The problem is, is that us at our 50% is other people's 150 and we can't help it. It's just what it is. It's how we are. I'll thank you, Kim, for sending us a message and convening us at that rat infested restaurant that we went to. That will go (laughs) on next. Who saw the rat first? They just have the right rice. Remember? Give me some white rice. And that's why they closed. But thanks for convening us anyways, uh, <laughs> despite it being there, truly. Um, I mean, it's the good trouble. Like, this this is social work, right? You and I were dogging on case management. That's because this is social this work. Is social, work is, social work Social work is changing the yes. circumstances that mm-hmm. have been put upon us, right? right? It isn't just putting Band-Aids and bridging gaps that the government created. Social work is dismantling that shit and making it way better. Yes. Um, yes honestly just burning it down and creating something that we actually are going to be all up in right that's something that looks like us that sounds like us and that lives like us um so thank you thank you for bringing us and start this journey i'm grateful yeah i'm i'm grateful for y'all too because you know i'm gonna count down i got i'm not gonna make it to 2030 i'm telling you right now and Uh so i'm doing my best to make things better than how i found them when i'm ready to go i'm i'm leaking and you'll have a legacy (laughs) i am grateful that uh, y'all have um, joined me along whatever this exit plan is out of this game. Because I'm on my way out. Not yet, though, but I'm on my way out. Um, Any parting words, but then most importantly, where can folks find y'all online? My parting words would just be like, wrap wrap that care around others. like, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the two of you and what y'all do, especially right now during session. And like, I think we sometimes forget the people that are doing it, but like the Kristens, the Abbies in the world during mm-hmm. session, like mm-hmm. just putting that care around each other and like the collective idea that um, Kim was talking about bringing us together for, like 
y'all latch on to like collective joy in the same way that y'all be energized to do work um and like for the white people listening like just cash app zell you know all of that works for people of color that are doing this work too you know like that's care too whatever that looks like so just yeah just wanted to put it out there. People can find me on email. I mean, I have a I ah, email. Not email. <laughs> That's such a Fatima response. That was such a Fatima response. I love that response. Go ahead and email. Go ahead, drop your email. Go ahead. It's fms dot or period speaks s p e a k s at gmail.com. Cause y'all mess around and try to DM me. Uh, it's liable to be there for another year. Um, <laughs> but I am really good on email. Um, in my signature, you can schedule an appointment with me. I'm not charging you, but you know, to just um catch up, I'm I'm down for that. But yeah, don't don't be um trying to reach me on these Oh, things. that was so Fatima branded. I'm like obsessed. <laughs> um that was I loved that um you can find me on socials but I'm also kind of a ghost on there at Kristen LCSW I actually don't have any posts really actually um I blacked it all out um because I want to approach social media in a different way uh but really it's just evidence that I exist because you have to prove that to people um my parting words are free Palestine uh, oppression abroad reflects oppression here um to find rest to find care ditto fatima what you were saying look out for one another right um there's too much harm in the world put beauty in put joy in um um yeah that's it speak up speak out be loud i love it i love it y'all thanks thank for you. sharing your platform and always this is ours this, this shit ain't mine <laughs> but just thank you for being thoughtful <laughs> and how you have these conversations how you connect um people yeah appreciate that appreciate that thank you y'all truly thank you all i can hope is that uh you feel called to action inspired and believe that this level of change is possible for our field and our profession because it it's ours It belongs to us, the people. Social work has and will always be a field for and by the people. We cannot allow the over-regulation and the over-policing of our field to take it away from its roots and its foundation. And so, Virginia, we can do this. We can do this. It can be done. It has happened. Like I have shared before, Illinois did it. Other states are moving and working and mobilizing to make this happen in New York, Maryland. It is possible. We can do this. And so if you are listening and you don't know about any movement work that is happening, or maybe you are the one who is ready to make some shit shake, think about your network of people. Think about the folks that you went to graduate school with. Think about the folks you've been journeying alongside throughout your career in this work. Reach out to your people. And by your people, I mean your other social workers. This is nothing but a group of social workers that is getting this done in Virginia. We're not a group of attorneys and elected officials, just social workers, just like you. Find your people. Make some shit shake. Get angry enough. Be filled with enough rage. 
to make it possible for people to get access to this field and profession because it belongs to us and we are absolutely going to take it back. And so y'all, as always, please continue to take care of your hearts so that we can take care of each other because y'all already know what it is. We are literally all that we got and I will talk to y'all next time.